Welcome to the Future Charlotte Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Joining us today are Philip Gussman and Kiba Samuel of the Planning Commission. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Eli. So I guess just to start out, why don't you introduce yourselves, say who you are, what you do with the Planning Commission, and how you got involved with this? Because, uh, you know, you are not paid professionals like the city staff. You are people who are volunteering your time. What? We don't work for the city? (laughs) A lot of people have that misunderstanding, so I had to make that joke just now. Um, I'm Kiba Samuel, and I currently serve, actually my second year, serving as vice chair of the Planning Commission. Uh, In my current role, I chair the zoning committee. Um, I was appointed by county commission in the summer of 2017 and um, decided to submit an application to join this specific committee because it somewhat aligns with what I do in my regular nine to five, but mostly because of the constant frustration that I was beginning to feel in my daily commute, in my day-to-day livable operations, so to speak. And our, you know, my kids, uh, we lived in Huntersville at the time and we commuted to Central City for school. And then I joined a corporation that is closer to the South Carolina line. So I moved to the Whitehall Steel Creek area and the commute was about the same on the original move. And then over time, it just got longer and longer and longer. And I just kept running out of shortcuts to take to make a timely commute. And I just, I remember like not screaming, but just being so frustrated that, you know, who's allowing all this development without the proper infrastructure and you know, who's, you know, allowing all of these houses without widening the roads. And so I didn't want to um, voice a frustration about something that I was misinformed or uninformed about. I didn't want to form an opinion on something I was uninformed about. So I decided to jump right in. And here I am. Not having opinions on things you're uninformed about. Now, that is a revolutionary idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's exactly the kind of person we get on planning. (laughs) Um, I'm Philip Gustin. I, uh, I, I also came on board in uh, 20, the summer of 2017, and I'm currently serving as the vice chair of the planning committee, which is one of the two committees that make up the planning commission. Um, I got involved because uh, uh, a, a neighbor once told me that, well, if you like living here, you should do something about it. You should try and keep it nice or, or keep working at it. So I joined uh, my neighborhood association, and uh, from there I noticed, wow, lots of stuff is happening. I live in Plaza Midwood, and um, lots of stuff was happening. And so I got involved, and after doing that for a while, working with our historic district and other development, I began to understand the zoning process a little bit, and uh, then someone on the zoning committee on the planning commission suggested, well, if I like it that much, I should do it for the whole city. <laughs> and I did. Uh, the mayor appointed me back then in 2017. So let's just start from a, a foundational level, because I think that there are a lot of 
misperceptions or just lack of knowledge around who does what when it comes to zoning and planning and, and how you know this commission and the various committees fit into it. And I get that because there are a lot of different moving parts and some of them sound similar. So let's just start from a, from a high level. Uh, whichever of you wants to take this, what is the Planning Commission? Well, I'll jump in here a little bit. Um, planning Commission is made up of 14 people. Half of them are, are appointed by the county commission and half of them are appointed by the city council or the city in general. The planning commission is then further divided up into two committees. And those committees are zoning committee that you'll see sitting back in the day, you would see sitting with city council during all the zoning uh, public hearings. And they, that group of seven people will make an advisory judgment on any of the petitions as they're coming through. And we usually do it two weeks after after the public hearing and two weeks before city council makes their vote on it. And our judgment, our, our recommendation is supposed to be made in the context of the policies and ordinances that we have in place. So less room for political bias potentially, because if we say no to something, we have to say why we say no. And that generally needs to meet one of those policies that we've stated as one of those ideals of planning. The other committee is the planning committee, which I am currently on. And the planning committee looks at any area plans or any larger plans that we might be looking at, any um, ordinances or text amendments that come through, also run through the planning committee for a recommendation to city council on the uh, on the vote and how it adheres to our policies and everything. Um, the interestingly enough, the uh, the planning committee also actually chimes in on any government land that is bought or sold in the county, which is interesting little bit. I when I found myself voting for or against an ABC store to acquire land in Matthews. I, <laughs> It's a little surprising to me, but interesting bit of how the way our local government works. So that's kind of the structure. And Kiba, you kind of hinted at this um, moving from someone who was a citizen who wondered who's making these decisions, how is this getting done, to you know taking that step that most people don't take and uh, deciding, okay, I'm going to go sit on the other side of the dais and see how this works. How's your perception of how the system works uh, changed by that? So um, thank you for that question, Eli. I think that the, the most, um, the, the lightning bolts kind of went off as we, uh, like Bill alluded, is when we are hearing from neighbors in a particular neighborhood about uh, either in support of or opposition to a particular petition or development that's happening. And I was quite surprised at the length of, time, that entire process that happens before public hearing is taking place. So the timeline from the point that a developer or petitioner comes to the city with a proposal to the time that is being decided on by council is very lengthy. It's very collaborative. There is a lot of uh, collaboration behind the scenes among city, different city departments, uh, Charlotte Department of Transportation, Stormwater Services. Uh, Charlotte Water Department, CMS, uh, you've got input from the Land Use Committee from the county side, 
there, there's so much collaboration on that front side. And I was kind of surprised that all of that took place and the amount of diligence that went in uh, before planning commission or the public even really learned about a specific petition. So I learned to be more collaborative in our understanding of that process um, and being able to trust that the staff has been diligent in encouraging uh, a product that works best for the city. Uh, the length of time that is uh, taken between, again, the developer coming to the city with a proposal and the time that it takes to see that petition come out of the ground, um, it can be very lengthy, but it's because the city staff is taking a lot of steps and putting in a lot of work to make sure that what is going to come out of the ground will be best for the city or a particular geographic area of the city. I think that kind of hints at the contradiction or duality or whatever you want to call it that I saw when I was a development reporter, which is neighborhood groups kind of tend to think developers run the show and call every shot and developers often complain about, you know, the length of time it takes for something to get approved and how many different departments weigh in on it and how much influence neighborhood groups can have. Who's right? <laughs> it depends on what side you're on, Eli. I think that they, they both have very valid points. From an ordinary citizen's point of view, um, I, I get it that either they're applying that particular perception on the zoning committee or on staff or council that we're just rubber stampers. Um, it can seem that way because the normal citizen isn't that process that is, is, is kind of adhered to on the city side isn't really visible to a, a normal everyday citizen. And because they don't know what happens, as you said, behind the veil, it does seem like there are a lot of yeses in zoning committee work sessions, but that can only happen because of the work that city has done prior to that petition coming to public hearing. I can tell you that um, speaking on my own behalf and because I've worked side by side with Phil for years, is that the community's input is really important to zoning committee members. A lot of community members may not feel that way. Um, one of the points that um, starting back in September last year that we wanted to change for this year is how communities can provide input or can be involved a little bit earlier in that zoning process. One of the frustrations that we have as zoning committee members is when the community feedback comes at the last hour. It many times it's on the work session day, which is the day that the zoning committee is deciding on a particular uh, petition that we're getting feedback from community members that we either should not support or that we should support. And usually at that point, the communication is very strong. The, the thing that makes that dis disadvantageous is that we don't have time to validate concerns or those support points um, if we're making a decision within the hours. So there is a very uh, public facing part of it from the, from the neighborhood standpoint with the developer when there is a, con a conditional rezoning. When there is a conventional rezoning, there's not that much of an opportunity, but the opportunity always exists to communicate with the zoning committee members. And that's what Phil and I are here today to kind of encourage. We've even recently implemented uh, a few things or we're in the process of implementing, not to put the cart before said horse, a few elements that help identify some of those petitions that might be of concern to our zoning committee members earlier in the process so we can have those questions 
questions and so that the community and, and part of what we want to encourage folks to do is to communicate directly with the zoning committee members, honestly, in the interest of us finding out what are those potential pinch points and concerns of the community. Now, keep in mind, the process is still going on and the city might be actively working to fix those exact, exact concerns. And so it, it may or may not have, uh, uh, you know, you might send, not send an email and then a vote changes. There's a lot to it still. And at the same time, just those conversations happening, generally I've found make the projects better over time. We see better development when there are more people in the room. So tell me a little bit more about that and, and how both from the public's point of view, how can they get more involved? And from your point of view, how are you working to make it easier for people to get more involved and, and understand some of this? Because, you know, it can be, uh, it's an intimidating process and there's a reason land use attorneys exist as a profession and are paid quite nicely. That's a good point. Um, so community engagement or, or getting people at the table, as Phil said, early on in the process is key. There are a few ideas that we have um, and we've explored staff in terms of how to accomplish that. And there are some initiatives uh, underway currently in terms of changes to the rezoning.org website, to some of the city's data points for zoning petitions, um, to, the, to the signage that they're using on the roads. All of that is under discussion currently in terms of making changes to make it more uh, visible and making staff members and commissioners more accessible, more public facing, so that people understand that we are really. I wouldn't call us mediators, but we we advocate for neighborhoods, but we advocate for what's best for the city. So being a collaborative team member is going to be really key early in the process. And so we're, again, we're exploring how to best make that happen with staff. And so there are uh, some things that are in the early consideration stages, some, some things that are currently being explored in terms of implementation and changes. And we're hoping to see some of that out of the ground as early as May. You know, I think that a lot of times people don't pay attention to this stuff until there is a controversy mm -hmm. or until it's, you know, right on their block. And then all of a sudden they care quite a lot. Do you think that that is a dynamic that we can change in Charlotte or is that just kind of baked into it? Because, I mean, people are busy and it's it's hard to follow all the news you want to follow and then you throw in all the rezoning stuff, it's a lot for the average person to follow. But I have seen, like like you mentioned, a lot of times people realize at the last minute, you know, just kind of, oh man, this is coming, we got to do something right now, and the process is already so far along at that point. Yeah, so that happens sometimes with zoning petitions, and that happens also with major initiatives like the Comprehensive Plan, we'll talk about that a little bit later, I'm sure. In terms of the zoning petitions, there's already a lot of information out there. There's a um, website called Acela. There's a tool that's called Acela that's um, accessible to um, developers, it's accessible to staff members, it's accessible to commissioners and public that they can drill down into and learn uh, a petition, what stage it's at, what's happening next. Um, they can view site plans, they can view comments from CDOT and other uh, staff or city agencies. Um, there's a lot of information already out there. And even with as much information that does exist already, it is not 
you know, normal for people to kind of be interested enough to delve in to your point, Eli. So, you know, you can, what's the saying? You can take a horse to the water, but you can't make them drink it kind of thing. I think that is uh, evident in many of the city's undertakings uh, recently, but when it comes to zoning petitions, we're trying to change that specifically because that's the thing that really does affect the normal everyday citizen that is middle-class, owns a $300,000 home and takes their kids to school every day and want to see them flourish and grow up in that neighborhood. So those, that's where we hear the most feedback. So we are trying to make information to that regard a lot more accessible and kind of in your face, which is why signage is one of those ones that, that we're exploring in terms of making changes. I would say because of our rapid speed of development and and honestly, uh, people like yourself, Eli, who who help bring it to the forefront in more traditional media formats as well, we've seen more interest, I think, in, in land use groups starting up in different communities and neighborhood associations and HOAs being a little bit more, paying a little bit more attention, or at least that setting off, you know, one or two people aside and say, hey, you guys pay attention to this. Um, and I have been seeing more of that in my, as we've reached out. I mean, 10 years ago, we didn't have a Steel Creek Neighborhood Association. Yes. I mean, we can, we can run around the city and see more and more people being involved. And that's a good thing. And it's a very good thing. I'd encourage more of that to happen. And I personally hope to help more people get involved. Yes, there are certain communities that have that 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 have gotten a head start on on becoming established. And to Phil's point, there are uh, certain neighborhood groups that have land use committees, and it is their job, their task, their charge to learn about developments happening in their immediate area, to meet and discuss with developers, to come up with a plan for the community. And uh, we want to see more of that. We wish that was uh, a little bit more well-established in some of the other neighborhoods where our association has been very cohesive lately. You've got the North End, you've got West Charlotte Neighborhood Coalition, and one on the Northwest side, I think that's been newly developed or in formation right now. So it's exciting to see and we want to see more of it. And obviously the biggest thing going on right now with planning overall is the city's comprehensive plan. You know, there have been objections surfaced to that recently, I think, as people kind of read the details. And I think beyond the specific questions of, you know, is it a good idea to change single family only zoning or not? Beyond those specific questions, I think process wise, this is a good example of some of what we were talking about, because on the one hand, you have the city that's done a lot of outreach, you know, much more in some ways than they typically do. You know, I'm thinking of the drive-in theater event and the board game and all the virtual events they did and a really big push from the city's point of view. But then from the community's point of view, I don't know that you had that many people who were not already really interested paying attention until, you know, suddenly it's, oh, wait, they're going to vote on this thing next month. And I just saw a tweet that says it's going to eliminate houses or, you know, whatever information's out there. Uh, and now all of a sudden you have a lot of people who are tuning in and, and have a lot of feelings. But what do you think of the, the process and what that shows for how we need to think about these questions around engagement and involving the community and and not having it be something that's only when it's controversial or at the last minute? Good points. So, 
Bill and I joined the commission at the same time. I believe our first meeting was September of 2017. At the time that we joined the commission, there were several initiatives already underway. The first thing that I'll point out is that we did not have a planning director at that time. Ed McKinney at the time was serving as interim director, very smart, very engaged team member for us. The UDO, uh, the UDO update was underway. You had the TOD that was launching uh, transit-oriented development ordinance underway. You had place types that was cooking up. There were a lot of things happening at the same time. The public engagement piece for the UDO, which is the law behind the comprehensive plan, the community engagement part was already underway. There used to be these sessions called meet and eat sessions with uh, government partners. So you've got city staff, CDOT, water, um, and they would go out to each of these districts, one through seven, and have these monthly sessions. And they would discuss any concerns that a resident uh, brought up, but place types in UDO were, were the big things at that point. Um, so that was back in the fall of 2017. You already had that happening. Tywell joins us in January of 2018. Tywell Jayova, our current planning director and uh, assistant city manager, joined us in January 2018. Somewhere around May, April, May of 2018, we started hearing about Minneapolis's 2040 plan and how uh, successful they were in kind of bringing that plan to fruition. And the fact that the UDO was getting such a slow start at the time, we weren't sure how their neighbors and residents were connecting with some of the language that was in the UDO. We recognized that, yes, we had upwards of about, I think there's over 100 area plans for the city and how there's lack of cohesion amongst those those plans. And um, Tidal was one of the first ones to broach the topic of a comprehensive plan. It was the missing piece. So it was kind of like we were trying to put the cart before the horse. The UDO was underway, but we didn't have a comp plan. We didn't have a vision for what the city should look like. So how are we going to write an ordinance or the law portion of it without having the vision to, to guide it? So it's not like, so at that point, he came before the commission and asked, hey, would you be supportive if I went to council and asked if we were to develop a comprehensive plan? So in May or June, uh, we, the commission, final commission said to Taiwo, he agreed to go to council with uh, three options. We can continue with the UDO in place types framework. We can continue on that path, but change the engagement strategy or we can parallel the UDO and start planning for a comprehensive plan for the city. Council kind of agreed that we needed a comprehensive plan. So they gave city staff, Tywell specifically, the directive to go and pursue the comprehensive plan. As planning commission, we supported that. Um, We supported the UDO also, but uh, in having the comprehensive plan, uh, it made sense to, to kind of have that as a guiding principle. So the public engagement piece started very shortly after that. So we're talking January of 2018, Tywell joins us by April, May, we're talking comp plan by June, July, August, council gives us the go ahead to pursue comp plan. September, the first engagement piece for the comp plan happens. So the comprehensive plan engagement process has been happening since the middle of 2018, since the fall at least. And one of, the, one of the things that we advocated for in the development of the, tra- the transit-oriented development ordinance was that the public engagement piece had to be really robust. 
So when we started talking about the engagement piece for the comprehensive plan, staff already knew what the commission's expectations were that we were looking for public to have some serious input for the engagement piece to be really robust. And they took notes, they made changes, they made pivots. So from 2018 fall, um, and those uh, establishing what the vision was going to be. They talked to thousands of residents. They met with thousands of residents. And I think to Phil's point and to your point, Eli, staff, city staff, the planning department has had so many engagement opportunities for uh, the community. They've gone every direction possible from billboards to commercials to bringing in uh, speakers to community conversations, to appearing before TAP committee, to appearing before board of county commissioners, constantly updating the planning commission uh, and planning committee. There, there are so many opportunities. And obviously when COVID hit, we were already a year and a half in with the public engagement piece. So mind you, there was a three phase effort in terms of community engagement. The first piece is what do you want to see in a comp plan? And those were the basis for, so when we heard that feedback from the public, we heard very loud and clear that equity was over and over again, the most important piece. Every engagement uh, event that we had, um, every point of feedback, it's almost like everyone was saying equity, equity. We want more equitable distribution of transportation tools, of development tools, things of that nature. So. When you have a baseline like that, um, equity wasn't the only piece. We wanted, you know, an expansion of transportation choices was a big thing too. So um, housing affordability was part of that. So when you have that as your basis, that was the foundation for what you see today. So in phase one, we established what the vision was for the plan. What do the people want to see? Now, mind you, that wasn't only the neighbors. We invited people of the real estate industry, the development industry. Obviously, the planning commission was a big piece of it. Staff thought it important enough to invite someone from at someone to the table from many different industries, and that, that was an important piece. Phase two. Now that we've got what the people want to see, we're establishing goals now. So the ten goals that you see in the comprehensive plan today was established based on that foundation, based on the feedback from the people. And to get over here ago. over a year ago, before pandemic, even that was in person, we established that was in 2019. That was this is closer to the 2019 end of 2019. So, this is this is before COVID coronavirus. So, when COVID coronavirus took hold of our city, we had to shut down, um, bless all the families that were affected by COVID. But I believe wholeheartedly that city staff made a very conscious and deliberate effort to determine how to properly pivot their engagement um, strategy. They brought in consultants to figure out how to do that. And I think one of the gifts actually of COVID-19 was that people who may not normally pay attention to things of this magnitude because the comp plan is, is a, it's, it's a big piece. This is a legacy piece of uh, document here. And some of the people that may not have usually been paying attention to something like this, now they're being not really forced, but you know, with stay-at-home orders, everybody's paying attention to the news. So I think that it couldn't have been a more perfect time. I know a lot of people think that COVID-19, oh, there wasn't enough uh, engagement or it, 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 it negated all of the engagement or the momentum that we have with community engagement. I think it made it even more robust 
because now I don't have to hurry to uh, the local church location where finding staff is to find that information. I could turn on my Facebook or YouTube or whatever the case may be from right, right where I'm sitting, watch it with my kids. So I could, uh, I could be more uh, engaged. And I think it actually amplified the engagement piece. So for the naysayers who think that the coronavirus impeded any kind of community engagement, I, I would respectfully disagree with that thought process for those reasons. So to get to where we are today and to hear council um, a few weeks ago encouraged halting the process for the benefit of a select few or a select group without having vetted that group's concerns was alarming to me. Um, it highlighted the fact that maybe some council members were not as informed of this huge piece, this legacy document as they probably could or should have been. I felt disappointed that if those concerns were valid and they were true council concerns that they should have been delivered to staff a lot earlier. Again, we started this process in the fall of 2018 and it is at the point of adoption, we're nearing adoption at this point or at least recommending adoption at this point to, to hear the pushback, to hear let's take a little longer. It basically dismisses I think there's upwards of about 500 strategic advisors and ambassadors to the comprehensive plan. I forget to mention this part. So I believe it was the summer of 2019 that in response to, to some of the feedback that staff was getting from the planning commission, they developed, they started, they, they formed a strategic advisors committee and, and an ambassador, plan ambassadors. Plan ambassadors were to inform public, to help spread the word, to help increase community engagement. Strategic advisors were people more focused on development, real estate, how will this look on the ground. Uh, there were, you know, more technical review of the plan and criticism of the plan. So to uh, those monthly strategic advisors meetings are happening also simultaneously. So that started back in the fall of 2019. So for council, again, for council to get here in March, actually, technically, that was a few weeks ago. So it was at the end of February with a planned adoption in April to then say, forget what you strategic advisors have been saying. Forget the time that you ambassadors have put in. You guys don't count. You don't mean anything. We want to stop the whole process because these other groups, this other group or these specific people uh, have concerns that have not been heard. Uh, we want to stop the whole process. It was very disappointing. And I think that's an understatement. Um, I hope that council considers moving forward, not halting the process. Uh, I hope that they are diligent in vetting or not the concerns that they've been recently hearing. And I hope they encourage those who have forced opposition to actually read the whole document. I'll end my comment there for now. <laughs> Bill, I'm sure you want to weigh in. 
Well, I, I would, I would just say uh, all of that is very valid, and 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 for comic relief, I will say for the when I first heard these objections that that people did, said they didn't know it was happening, and for the first time ever in my life, I'm going to make a a very nerdy sci-fi reference here. I felt a little bit like a Vogon from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The plans have been at, on file at Alpha Centauri for the last five decades or whatever. Not quite, but. I get that reference. I get it. <laughs> Small slice of your your visit your listeners will, but that it really is more about that. At this point, I will say the the cake isn't cooked. The batter might be made or the recipe might be written, but we're going through this public comment period, and these comments are being collected and being looked at by both city count. Pardon me, by city staff. And in three weeks, we're going to be voting on it and the uh, on the commission to make our recommendation for if the plan is in place is the one we want to move forward with and the recommendation to council. We have some of our own comments that we things that we'd like to see changed as well. And all of those are going through this process to, to, to suggest that we should step back from the whole thing just for one point of objection. <laughs> yeah, is seems like we've worked awfully hard to get to this point for that. And to add on to what Bill just said, yes. Yeah, so in terms of the comp plan timeline, at, at this juncture, um, we've been kept apprised of community outreach efforts, the feedback that staff has gotten on what topic was it, how was it submitted. So staff is continuing to this day and up until its adoption period to uh, solicit feedback from neighbors. You can send emails, you can tweet, you can call, you can uh, go on the charlottefuture2040.com website to submit feedback. Um, you could do the virtual open house that's 24-7 available. There's, there's plenty of opportunities still for community engagement. And to Phil's point, on March 22nd, the public hearing if nothing changes between now and then, the public hearing is scheduled for March 22nd with city council um, at five o'clock PM. Sign up to speak in support or to have your concerns heard um, because it's not too late. So after the public hearing, the planning committee, which to, to what Phil just said, uh, the, the actual comp plan, whether to recommend its adoption or not, it comes from the planning committee of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Planning Commission. So after the public hearing, I believe they're planning to meet the very next day. Now, typically uh, the planning committee would meet on the third Tuesday of the month, but they push their meeting, their monthly meeting to make sure that all pieces of public input have been heard. And since the public hearing is gonna be happening around that time, they decided to have their monthly meeting uh, to discuss the comp plan uh, or to decide on the comp plan after the public hearing. So the planning committee will meet somewhere around the 23rd, 24th of March after public hearing to review all comments, our comments, because as Phil said, each of us commissioners also have things that we want to see changed or tweaked or added or removed, things of that nature. So at that March 23rd meeting, the planning committee will decide, hey, we do want to include this person's comment, or we want to remove this because of resident feedback, or we want to add that because of developer feedback, or we want to take away this or change this because of commissioner feedback. 
So it is not too late to submit feedback. And even after that point, we still have, I, I believe it's at the April, so March 22nd is public hearing. Shortly after that, you've got planning committee. Planning committee at their meeting will decide to, we hope to be able to decide to recommend approval that council adopt. And after that, April 19th, it goes to the TAP committee. And the TAP is a committee of the city council that decides on things of this nature, transportation, planning, and environment committee. April 19th, it goes to the planning committee. I'm sorry, to the TAP committee. And then April 26th was the scheduled adoption by city council. So that is the timeline, unless it changes between now and then, of course. Uh, and that is at the pleasure of council at this point. Uh, so that is the timeline for the comprehensive plan. And in terms of community engagement between now and then, uh, just today there was a community conversation with the speaker. Um, I think it was Paul Magouche uh, was a speaker today about an hour ago. And today is March 9th. On March 16th, we will have a, a citywide community conversation at noon, from noon to 1.30, I believe. And this will be streamed on the city's YouTube page, uh, Facebook page, as well as the government channel. Uh, we will be taking questions, comments via live, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we want to hear, you know, we need to hear from our neighbors. We need to hear from our neighbors. Uh, if there's anything that you feel strongly that the plan uh, should include or remove, we want to hear feedback. So that's on March 16th, again, from noon to 1.30. So outside of that, email staff, go to the charlottefuture2040.com website, submit feedback. You can look at community engagement um, pieces. You can look at past engagement events. Uh, there's a ton of information on that website. Staff has done a really good job of uh, updating uh, that website. So there's a lot of information there. You mentioned that people who have objections to the plan should really read it and dig into it. I think the the biggest thing that people have voiced public objection to is the notion of allowing duplexes and triplexes on single family lots and fourplexes or quadruplexes on arterial streets. I've read most of the plan and that's mentioned, I think, two, maybe three times, one sentence each in a 300 plus page document. What are some of the other things in there that you want people to know about that you want people to understand? Hey, this isn't just a document that says single family only zoning should change. That's it. What are some of the other things in there that you wish people uh, would read and know about? I would point out the graphic elements, honestly, um, and this is something that we're seeing in all of our form-based code that we're seeing developed around the country and in our TOD, where we are showing a picture more of what could be the examples of things that could be built. So if you look in the uh, residential one place type in the document, it shows, well, yes, it shows single family. It'll also show garage apartment potentially and it'll show a duplex on a corner, for example, as our code allows now. But it'll also show that there are trees, there are sidewalks, there are setbacks, that there is space in that, uh, in that place type. If you look at another place type, you'll see, oh, there's a little three-story apartment building, or it's, a, it's adjacent to a, a convenience store area. And those, I think, tell a lot to the public about what it is that we're trying to convey with the plan. It really is, these documents are not, it seemed to be written generally not for public consumption. They're written to be 
read and worked with by people who do it for a living or who research it all the time or the one guy in your neighborhood who's a nerd about it. This is we this is a much easier to read and needs to be easier. Honestly, almost all of my comments about the plan as it is now have to do with it be accessible to more people in the community and approachable. And th I think that's a fair, another fair example of something that, oh, we can still fix that, or we can create documents that help interpret the plan. That's a, I, I think a pretty key point that this plan does really well compared to others that we've had here. It could be better, I feel, but it does very well in speaking to what does a space look like to you? The, the fact that we really never really had a comprehensive plan is of note. So the centers, corridors, and wedges framework uh, is what we've been operating under for the last 30, nearly 40 years, is the latest um, kind of umbrella plan that we, we've had as a city. So to, to even have a comprehensive plan that's current would be exciting in and of itself, number one. But um, some of the... Some of the uh, some of the things that the plan champions, access to jobs, goods, and services through 10-minute neighborhoods. It champions environmental justice. It champions access to opportunity. There's, there's just so much that this plan touches on. And again, all of these touch points come directly from the people of Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. I cannot stress that enough. It came from the people of Charlotte and Mecklenburg County through these hundreds of engagement uh, sessions. So uh, there's a lot in the plan. There's a little bit of everything. Uh, there's, a, there's something for everyone to benefit from. Um, I'm personally, I'm excited about the 10 minute neighborhood idea. Um, and I know that's been kind of a hot topic and it, it will take uh, some time for us to actually see that come to fruition in some of the more suburbanized areas. But it's something that this plan is meant to be visionary and aspirational because if you don't Put those goals out there, then you'll never truly meet them or even attempt to reach the mark. So I can appreciate um, the idea behind the plan, the vision that the plan creates, and I'm excited to launch it, but we've got to do it in a way that makes every voice heard, including those in opposition, which is why it's still so important that we hear from anyone who has feedback to offer. A final question as we wrap up here, if you could change one thing about planning and development process in Charlotte and Mecklenburg, what would you change and why? If you had a magic planning wand. <laughs> I would remove some of the legalese. I would make it um, some of the jargon a little bit more layman terms, particularly as it comes to zoning petitions and rating site plans. Um, again, someone who doesn't know this for or do this for a living, as Phil said, someone who's not an architect or developer, it could be hard to decipher whether or not this house or this building is going to be how many feet from my house and where's the entrance going to be. Just making it more user-friendly, making the information more accessible, and figuring out a way to tweak to the masses. I would, I would prefer that, uh, especially on major initiatives like Charlotte Moves, or the comprehensive plan, Charlotte Future 2040, figure out a way, it's almost like an emergency alert system, right? That comes across your TV with some kind of message. I, I wish there was a way, if I had a magic wand, that's what I would create. The planning alert system, I like it. That's pretty neat. Yes. I like that idea. 
I, I was going to say I if I had a magic wand, I would I would figure out how we could get everyone to talk to each other and understand where some each other's coming from on this, both inside neighborhoods and with the development community as they come in and try and produce something and our businesses. We our neighborhoods that are working in so many ways uh, that that kind of fit our 10 minute model that we've talked about are amazing parts of our city. They really are fascinating. Um, and I understand the objection that, well, not everyone wants to be like Noda or everyone doesn't want to be like South End or, or what have you. I, I have a lot of appreciation for that. But I do also feel a lot of people are making these decisions very siloed and just looking at their few pieces of data that they get and making a decision. Final thing, where should people go if they want more information? You've mentioned a few websites and uh, avenues already, but for people who hear this and think, I want to learn more, where should they go? So there, is, there are three meetings monthly that the Planning Commission partakes in. So we meet as a general body, uh, typically the first Monday of each month. That is a noon to 2 p.m. meeting every Monday of each month. Again, that's the Planning Commission's work session. To Phil's point earlier, we operated two separate committees. The 14 people of the commission operated two separate committees. The zoning committee is usually tied to city council's public hearing meetings for zoning petitions. So that's typically the third Monday of each month. Uh, that meeting usually starts at five. And then the zoning committee's work session is about 15 days from public hearing. So it's not a consistent um, uh, it will usually on, be on the first Tuesday following that 15-day mark. So uh, there's not really a, a, a regular uh, time that happens, but that meeting, again, is usually the first Tuesday following 15 days after public hearing. That meeting starts at 5.30 to 7.30. And then the planning committee meets the third Tuesday at 5.30 to 7.30. Five o'clock, I'm sorry, it's five o'clock to 7 p.m. for the planning committee. Um, so those are uh, where they can reach us. And we're usually streaming on the City of Charlotte's Planning, Design, and Development's Facebook page. Uh, the public hearing with City Council is usually on Government Channel, Facebook, and YouTube. And then the comprehensive plan, of, of course, charlottefuture2040.com rezoning.org if you want to find out any information about a petition the developers wanting to do something or when you see that yellow sign in your on your drive to work on your way to school when you see that yellow sign you can type in that number you can even google the number without going to the website if you google for instance if a petition is 2020-193 you can put in 2020-193 charlotte and usually that first ping will be that particular petition so um, we're trying to make it easier for people to find information. So hopefully the next time we visit you, Eli, we'll have a, a better way to do that. The only other comment I make on that is that uh, the community leaders should consider signing up with the city on their neighborhood contact page on the website, on the city's website, at charlottenc.gov front slash planning. And you'll find a link there that leads you to that. So help be informed on when uh, rezonings are coming through. And the city also uses it to notify for other events. 
Also, the planning commissioners, uh, our email addresses are on the city planning department's website also. You can reach out to us anytime. Well, lots of ways to get in touch and find out more and learn what's going on in our community. Phil and Kiba, again, I just really appreciate your time and I look forward to talking again sometime about planning. Thank you very much. It was awesome. I greatly appreciate it and look forward to it. Thank you, Eli. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.